2020 is undoubtedly shaping up as the year of the big reset. Everything is getting cancelled, even cancel culture itself. In New Zealand, we've seen the demise of legacy media titles and the disbanding of many of the institutions we once took for granted. Ultimately, the rise of social media, the most profound independent publishing tool ever created, has evolved to such an extent that it is now feeling like the default media environment through which to glean all manner of information, tips, data, insights, gossip, and more, far outperforming traditional magazines, newspapers, TV, and billboards. Our guest today appeared almost out of nowhere several years ago, starting a personal blog aimed at building a community of young adults and encouraging open conversations about coping with the struggles of entering adulthood. Aptly named the 20s Club, this local bedroom blog quickly became a secret hideout for many young women who relished a new platform that at once felt secluded and private, yet open and inclusive. The site quickly evolved to amplify conversations started out of the day's hottest topics, everything from US politics to lip balm, and encouraging robust, hilarious tales to be shared of often awkward mistakes made growing up and fumbling for the right buttons to press in life. Today, I'm delighted to have with me as a guest, the founder of the 20s Club, to discuss just what the hell is going on in the world right now. Welcome to Fashion and Focus, Madeline Walker. Hi, Mas. Hey. Great introduction. Thank you very much. Quite kind. Is this your first uh, podcast, sorry? It's my second podcast. I did an interview with um, Beck from the Self Love Club. I think that was like maybe a couple of years ago now, but that was the one and only. So either it went to your blend, that's why no one else has asked me back on, um, or it was just like mind-numbingly boring. And I didn't hear it, so I don't know just how badly it, it went. Yeah, so, so here we are. So if this makes it to air, <laughs> for a real treat. Okay. So Maddie, um, I wanted to start with, you know, we'll start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about the 20s Club. Um, I'm really interested in why you started it. Where did it come from? Where did you come from? Tell us about how you landed in this blog world. So I started the 20s Club in May 2015, so just over five years ago. Oh, wow. Cool. Which in social media terms is like 200 years, yep. as a lot can change in five. Um, basically, my girlfriends and I were 20 and 21 and sort of on the front doorstep of what was we were told a defining decade. Mm. And we were kind of filled with all these sort of juxtaposing emotions of fear and excitement um, and feeling really carefree, but also feeling a lot of pressure to make the right decisions while recognizing that there was no such thing as the right decision. Mm. Um, and we also felt like people weren't being particularly honest about how little we had figured out. It was sort of understood that if you did a law degree, you should become a lawyer. But what if you did a law degree and then you realize you hate law? When, mm. What do you do then? What if you didn't want to go to university at all? What if you wanted to do an apprenticeship? Um, and every now and again, I'd find an article online. I've always loved reading online content. So I'd find like an article on the New York Times or The Guardian or Man Repeller that sort of spoke to something specific that my girlfriends and I or guy friends and I had spoken about that week. But there wasn't like a platform that was specifically catering to this what I considered to be quite specific genre. Mm. And so... It's kind of the genre of life stuff. Yeah. But, you know, like I think we often... I think the media have been trapped in the, in the past, and I feel like it's being unpicked a bit now, but I think even the media get trapped into thinking 
this is the kind of stuff we should cover and this is the this is how we should cover it. Right. There's very few media that have the guts and the resources and I suppose the freedom to go, actually, should why don't we talk about that other thing that seems to be on everyone's minds right now, you know? And I also felt like blogs were very aspirational, which is a mm. lot of pressure in a d- decade that's already filled with a lot of pressure and I was sort of like wonderfully mundane in a lot of ways and so I just thought it could be a lot more on a level playing field in terms of how we spoke to each other and about each other. Mm. I've always loved to write and I realized that I had pages and pages and pages of Word documents that really weren't going to be published anywhere else Mm. and I also liked the idea of creating my own business and being self-employed like I think a lot of people stumble into blogging and then monetize it whereas I was like intentionally trying to make a business out of what I was doing Um, my dad is self-employed and I always saw that while it's incredibly hard work and personal and comes with sacrifice especially in the short term fiscally I knew that the payoff was quite profound in terms of fulfillment and I'm a sensitive person so I liked the idea of doing something that would bring me more joy than stress. Mm. And I think you're right, like a lot of, and you can see that with, I suppose, social media has become so, it's made it so easy for everyone to have a platform. And, uh, you know, like there was that age old statistic about how only 5% of people with a Twitter account actually use it because everyone jumped into Twitter going, this is this great new thing. And then went, what am I supposed to do? You know, like I was watching that movie Chef the other day about when his, um, you know, he gets kind of hounded on Twitter and he's like, I thought I sent this guy a direct message. Oh. <laughs> and instead he's um, sort of, uh, you know, erupted this crazy volcano of a conversation with someone in, in real time. Yeah, in Twitter is forum. just like everyone shouting into the void, yes. basically. Yeah, hoping that something sticks. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Maddie, it's been really interesting for me because for, for us being a fashion agency and a lifestyle agency, you have come into our world, but... I love the fact that you have a fresh take on things. And yes, it comes from you being independent and free-spirited and confident. But, I mean, you've you've covered every topic from managing anxiety to managing relationships and KiwiSaver <laughs> and book reviews and U.S. politics, not having children, having yeah. children, workplace harassment. Like, this is a very fresh kind of... Uh, and very nimble and very natural feeling medium in a world, like I said before, that feels like a whole lot of mediums that are doing things how they think they should be done. Right. What gave you the, I mean, it's silly, I don't mean to sound patronizing at all, but what gave you the confidence to be like, I'm going to talk about this today and then think that there was an audience for it and then you found the audience? Well, I just... I, I just knew there was an audience because the things I was going to write about were the exact conversations my girlfriends and I were having Friday night over a wine or Sunday mm. morning at breakfast. So I knew we all cared mm. and I knew my guy friends to a lesser extent were interested. And I was also um, I was also realistic that I wasn't going to monetize it in the first. Like I did a lot of research into the success of blogs and how quickly or not quickly that happened. And I couldn't find a single blog that was financially sort of independent in less than three years. I think I was just like, I will take the leap of faith 
I'll do it exactly how I want to do it on my exact terms. And if it doesn't work, I'll just go and get an office job and I'll mm. go and work in fashion PR or apply for a job at Showroom 22, mm. you know? And so... Wouldn't that be a dream job? Yeah, then? well, it would have been. <laughs> um, probably less stressful than some of my days. But um, so I just was like, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it exactly how I want to because there was nothing to lose because I hadn't got anything yet. Mm. So, And I also was no one. I had no reputation. I didn't have a massive following that I was um, leveraging off. Mm. So, And there's something nice and fresh about that, right? Like I remember when Rebecca Marnie, who's a friend of yours, was working with us. My mentor. Shout out to Bex. <laughs> um, you know, she was like, now, Murray, I think we're doing this event and I really want my friend Maddie to be there. She started this blog called The 20s Club. And I was like, You're like who, no. is this, who is this person? Who Absolutely is this Madeline not. Walker? You know, but, you know, like to... To, to be fair, I was, you know, we're always hesitant when we sent new people, and I, and this is going to sound really cringy, but let me unpack it. People come into the fashion industry and they're like, here I am, invite me to everything. Where's my free stuff? You know? So we're always a little bit hesitant. And I kind of, I, I, I resent that there's that feeling in the industry, but I think it would be probably, you know, relevant to most industries. But it's definitely an industry that people want to be at, and they think that as soon as they're there, I've arrived, and my opinion counts. It's entitlement. Entitlement. Yeah. But but also, and this is the seesaw I'm always on about, well, you should be entitled to that opinion. And social media has given you a platform, and you are now your own editor, and you're now your own publisher. So you are immediately relevant. And it's a little bit easier, I think, to, to, to appreciate that side of things than someone who says, all of a sudden, I've bought a camera, therefore I'm a photographer. Because I, I feel personally that there's, there's a lot of skill and artistry and training and understanding of the specifications of the camera and light and exposure and everything else. But if you've got an opinion, you are your own editor straight away. You yeah. know, And especially, I suppose, you, we balance this crazy... Uh, meandering kind of world where on one on one hand you're expected to act, look, speak a certain way, have certain friends, eat at certain restaurants, turn up to certain parties. And then on the flip side, you're wandering through this world online that is so full of hate and so full of people not supporting each other. How have you found that, especially breaking down your own barriers at the beginning, like saying, I am here, how was that for you, kind of navigating that world and finding your place? I think I was lucky in the sense that the, the 20s Club has always been, um, or tried to be, I haven't always got this right, but tried to be quite inclusive in terms of the, the topics it's covered and also brutally honest. And so it just attracted this really amazing community of readers who just happened to be supportive and vulnerable because I was being vulnerable. And so... Do you think that they, when they saw you being vulnerable, they thought, oh, thank God, totally. there's, someone, <laughs> there's someone who's not going to like expect us to jump through these hoops? That was, that's, the, that's still the main feedback I mm. get. It doesn't matter if I'm writing about a woman's decision not to have children or my mm. personal experience with anxiety or, um, you know, when sex goes wrong or whatever. There's not a day that goes by that I don't receive a message saying, oh, my God, I thought I was the only person. And, and, it, and it kind of broke my heart a little that in the beginning that that was the case because, and that was the irony of the 20s, was that you were in this decade thinking you were the only one who didn't know what you were going to do with your life. You were the only one who wasn't financially independent. You were the only one doing your, your washing at your parents' house on a Sunday. 
and no one was being honest about that. So I thought, well, I'll just put it all on the internet um, at a lot at a low risk because I was nobody. And if it resonates, it resonates. And if it monetizes, it monetizes. And if it doesn't, I'd do something else. Mm. Yeah. And look, that's I mean that any anyone who's done something of of real worth. And that doesn't matter if it's a blog, a newspaper, a company, a designer, whatever. They've all said, I think I've got an idea and I'm just going to go after it, you know. And for a long time, you're swimming in a real blue ocean, but there ain't no one behind you. <laughs> you know, like you're thinking, I've got clear air in front of me. I'm doing this great thing that no one's done before in, in my community or whatever. But it does take a long time. And I think, I mean, I, I thought that about my business too, because no one was doing what I wanted to do back here for fashion. I remember hearing from Valentin Ozic from I Love Ugly saying the same thing. He's like, we named our brand I Love Ugly. We got sued by Canterbury because they have ugly rugby jerseys. He's like, it all went wrong. And then we just went, no, 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 we've got to stick at it. You know, like you've got to, and I think you can probably, you know, you can think of the kind of brands in your life that you love that went, you know what, they weren't, they weren't great from day one. You know, people cottoned on to them slowly and then the momentum started and you brought people with you. And, you know, and, and Karen Walker often talks about that idea of building a campfire. And, and these days, of course, there's lots of different campfires. You know, and the guys at Levi's talk about how when they're analyzing their customers, you don't, it's not just about saying we're, we're going after people that are around that campfire. There's lots of different campfires. Yeah. You might be around the vegan campfire, the Sufi campfire. You might also be a blogger. You might also be an accountant, and you might be into stocks and trading. You know, so you've got four or five different campfires that you're in. You know, <laughs> and you're going to, you're going out to find yeah. all those all those people. Um, so, Maddie, this the whole the world of blogs has been really interesting because when I was, you know, I suppose five to ten years into my business, blogs really started to heat up in New Zealand. You know, Isaac likes. Even um, Catherine is awesome. Yeah, I loved that. And then yeah. you've got Rumi Neely, who was really, you know, like... Fashion toast. Fashion yeah. toast. You had Brian Boy. The blonde salad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there was this big blog uprising, and, of course, magazines were still going really, really strong. People were questioning, is, you know, is print dead? And absolutely it was not. But there's probably, there's been a bit of a shift away from blogs. There's yeah. been a big enhancement into Instagram, of course. And, of course, with that, the rise of the quote-unquote influencer. What's your, what's your take on kind of the, the, the rise and fall of blogs, maybe sort of why they're not as prevalent as they used to be? And, and then let's, let's talk about influence and, and influences as well. Yeah. I sort of feel like that's where the 20s club has sort of been a bit of an outcast because Instagram has always been really important for me, but it's just a vehicle to get people to read my articles. It's not the destination. Whereas I think now for a lot of influencers, it's just Instagram is the destination that they want and that's where they, they market themselves and da, 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 da. And while it hasn't always been, you know, in terms of the popularity of an actual blog, that continues to wax and wane, and I sort of think it will continue to wax and wane. I believe in the articles I'm writing and the content I'm writing, and I also firmly believe that content has never been more important. I saw that over lockdown. I'd never had more engagement on my website than I ever had, mm. than I did over lockdown, and that's just because people were craving community and they were craving honest conversations or maybe craving a little bit of respite from the news and how mm. traumatic it all was. 
and they just wanted somewhere they could read a read an article. And so while I think the word blog is probably outdated now, content remains paramount. And so it's just a matter of continually trying to um, I don't know. It's a weird one. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know. Do you, it's tricky because I mean, content is so important it's a, still. Yeah, it's, just it's a little bit mean of me really to, feel. Yeah, you're not supposed to be able to define it, and I can't either. And it's it's you know. But I, mean, I I can't have one without the other. So I need Instagram to be. I need yeah. even though my platform is tiny on Instagram, sixteen thousand mm. followers is a drop in the pond. I need that in order to drive the girls mm. to the website, even though they know that there's going to be say mm. three articles a week on the website. Mm. We're just our our generation is accustomed to being spoon fed at every step. For sure. Yeah. So I need both. I can't have the blog without Instagram, and I can't have Instagram without yeah. the blog. Yeah, and I think you're a really good example of, um, again, you know, Karen did this talk at Semi Permanent in Australia a few years ago, and the topic was Instagram won't save you now, and that was the be- that was the beginning of of that conversation around content being king and and ideas. Not the beginning of it because, of course, good ideas have always been the strongest part of any any kind of brand or product or whatever, but. I think to your point, a lot of people thought, I'm, in, I'm on Instagram, this is the be all and end all, this is the finish line, and, and, and I just need to amplify my voice here. But I, I suppose to your point, lots of people used to have a blog and, and a voice and opinions, and I think opinions are something that is, they're few and far between these days. I think a lot of people are kind of sharing content and describing things, but no one's really stepping out there going, this is what I think, because yeah. that takes courage. Right. But yeah, there was a there's Instagram kind of I suppose there's a little bit of a lack of substance in behind it. There's only so many pictures we can take in a day, and then we 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 are yearning for information yeah. and community conversation. conversation. Right. I mean, I, I even heard over lockdown. To your point, there was even traditional media sixty percent increases, a hundred percent increases on their web traffic yeah. because people really had the time, and then they were reading long form articles, opinion pieces. They were commenting back. And then they were going, actually, I've got something to say. Yeah, I'm right. going to do this, you know? like Yeah. And they were just reigniting their love affair with reading. Like, mm. so many people were just reading traditional books mm. again because they had so convinced themselves that they didn't have the time or the energy or whatever. But all it took was them being in lockdown and having an extra sort of 20 minutes at the end of the day to remind themselves how much they loved it. And now mm. they're carving out the time. Now they're back into mm. the real world. Um, and then I think in terms of blogs, like if we use like the US as an example, I think you're right that most people like the Blonde Salads, Chiara Faragni and Army Song had Song of Style. They've all moved away from their blogs, but I don't think there's a single success. I think what's telling in terms of where everything's going, is there's not a single successful Instagram influencer who is solely relying on Instagram for their business, for their entire business model. They've all diversified into either fashion lines or books or partnerships with Nordstrom um, or wellness supplements or something else. So they've either been advised that it's not going to be a long-term thing in terms of making money on Instagram or they just don't want to run that risk. And so they've sort of diversified their risk on other places. For me, maybe that's still the blog and Instagram, but it would never just be Instagram. And I think a smart, I think with any business, you want to diversify risk. And so people 
in the States, especially in Europe, influencers are identifying what their sort of talent is and then what how much of the audience is willing to pay for that talent, whether that's through clothes or CBD gummy bears or whatever it is, um, and trying to kind of expand their business mm. that way. And I think that's also a natural progression of people maybe getting a bit bored or feeling like that platform's stale. Yeah. Same reason that, you know, blogs were on fire and then they kind of then they dwindled a little bit. And but the, but the good ones have stuck and the good ones have actually amplified and become more meaningful. Mm. And you can look around at local magazines and say, well, yeah, besides the fact that Bauer closed down and we lost magazines, we've always lost magazines, but the, the good ones have stuck around. Yeah. Yes, some new ones have come, but also some, some old ones and some new ones haven't lasted for that long either. And, you know, it's, it's again, it's like, and lockdown did this for everybody. We had the time to actually go, you know what? I'm not going to follow that, that channel again because I actually have figured out that I don't need that information or I don't want that kind of, I don't want to be in that septic environment of opinions or chatter and I want to go off, off here. And I think that was an extremely liberating feeling for people too, going, I've got the time to actually choose who my friends are going to be, yeah, both right. online and, 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 and in the real world. Hey, and um, speaking about, you know, commercialization of these great ideas that are coming from young creatives in New Zealand, you've also found yourself with some really, I, I think, quite high-profile, successful commercial partnerships, um, one being with Jamie Lupton and Georgia Fowler's Monday Hair uh, and the other one as an ambassador for Commercial Bay. So you talk about how people can kind of put their hand up, have an opinion, start a platform, and then businesses come asking and knocking and saying, hey, we want you to talk with us. Talk us through how that's evolved for you and and, uh, and I suppose, like, how has it made you feel having those companies go, hey, Maddie, yeah. come, come be on our team? Um, I think even going back to 2015 when I launched, within that sort of first 12 months when I had, you know, 200 followers or whatever it was, um, which was mostly my mum and dad probably just made fake accounts. Um, bots. Bots, bot yeah. accounts. Yeah. You heard it here first, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Clear Walker 1, Clear yeah. Walker 2, Clear Walker 3. Um, I think I was lucky that there were a few big brands who, like using, I guess, Nespresso being one and Estee Lauder being the other, who identified that while I wasn't experiencing success or rapid growth or a viral moment they believed in the potential of the 20s club as a as in, as a longevity thing and so they were willing and probably smart because they partnered with me super early when I couldn't charge them anything decent in terms of money because I was nobody and had no following but they established that relationship which sort of made me be quite loyal to them as two massive brands and forego other partnerships that were probably their competitors just because I didn't think it was appropriate, which is probably influencers don't seem to do that as much. But um, The ones with integrity do it. <laughs> right, yes. Yeah, so, um, or the ones who haven't signed exclusivity contracts. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Anyway, so that was that gave me a, that gave me a lot of faith that I, that I should continue on running my business in a way that felt authentic and meaningful to me rather than feeling like I had to box myself into being a fashion blogger or a mm. health food blogger or whatever. Um, and then the payoff I've, I've mostly experienced has been in the last sort of two years or <clears throat> even 18 months where um, people like Jamie Lupton who um, 
have wanted to kind of come to market with these disruptive products has been like, okay, Maddie, you were sort of essentially no one and you managed to build a community and a platform um, from nothing with no massive, you know, celebrity backing or endorsements or, you know, financial, whatever. Um, Like, how did you do that? Is there a formula to it? And so essentially what Jamie and I did is I kind of came on board as like a, first it was sort of like an informal advisor just sort of she'd been living in Sydney working in luxury PR um, for a few years and so she was just sort of um, outdated in terms of who she should know in Auckland who she should be in contact with you know um, what magazines like Viva and things like that should she be reaching out to and so I was originally just sort of advising her on that and she also wanted to partner with the 20s club on a sort of rollout campaign for Monday which for those who don't know is essentially what Jamie wanted to do was completely disrupt the hair care industry by bringing luxury hair care to the supermarkets. So she didn't, she sort of wanted to essentially democratize hair care. So you didn't have to pay $50 for Kevin Murphy. If you could pay $9 for something just as aesthetically pleasing and effective in the supermarket. And I did, I did exactly that. I paid $50 for a (laughs) bottle of Kevin Murphy paste about a year ago after never really looking at the price and then the person told me what it was and I just about had a... It's uh, had insane. A, like, and she just chip. felt like that was completely unfair. So, um, and that, in, in terms of disruption, it's exactly what Monday's done and it hasn't been without its um, fair share of controversy, which I think is to be expected when a brand, um, you know, sells close to 2 million units in its first few months. Um, but, yeah, so Jay and I partnered for sort of the rollout. We did like a what's called a Monday Muse series where Jamie had all these wonderful muses to her brand, Maggie Hewitt, Rakaia Dowd, Beck Wadworth, Samantha Harris, Kristen Fisher, and she just wanted to sort of tell their stories in terms of showcasing what had been inspiring to her Mm. um, with her Monday journey. For example, Maggie's um, passion for sustainability really influenced Jay's decision to use recycled plastics, forego sticker labeling, um, all that kind of mm. stuff. And I thought for, for you personally, that was a really good integration of what you stand up for and what you wanted to do. It's not just you posing with some pink bottles on your Instagram. Yeah, which I know, just don't sign you, up for because that's yeah, just you, crap. You could, you could do it, but you're not. that's not going to be the base of your relationship, you know? So there's, Yeah, there's just, I think we need to give our readers more credit. Like they yes. would think that's such yeah. a sellout if I was mm. like, buy the shampoo whereas mm. if I can be like this is a, a young businesswoman mm. who wants to put herself out there and create a disruptive product these are the women she's inspired by I love facilitating conversations and interviews this is how we can make it work harmoniously um, and the best thing about that project was we were able to engage with incredible like videographers like Veronica Crockford Pound and her partner Joseph who I'm like endlessly inspired by Holly Burgess Fiona Goddard Um, as well as the actual muses themselves. Um, And it was a really good way to introduce the brand to the New Zealand market Um, because obviously while New Zealand's such a a small drop in the pond in terms of Monday's plans globally, because it's her home country and Georgia Fowler's home country as the face of the brand, they wanted to do something meaningful, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. 
and uh, I mean, it's it's been amazing watching their journey. And I think in a in a way, and with all you know, we've all suffered through COVID, but it was one of the most perfect times to launch that kind of disruptive brand. You know, people like money started to be scarce. People were losing jobs. They didn't have the same kind of money to spend on luxurious items, so they went for something that. And this is that whole lipstick effect argument about how sales of lipstick go up in times of crisis because it's five dollars you can spend on something my that dad makes you feel hey, like, my dad and i had such an interesting yeah. conversation about that yeah so yeah it was yeah i mean it, it wasn't just luck clearly because if you look at the strategy it was multi multi multi-layered yes but the um, timing was perfect the timing was perfect and then i suppose we're and we'll talk about commercial bay in a second because they are slightly different to yes. the way that that monday has um rolled out their business of course but I wanted to talk also about advertising because, in, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I haven't seen Jamie at Monday do any advertising, not traditional advertising. She had obviously some great editorial with Viva, with MindFood. Um, she's had some great coverage in Australia, et cetera, but it's all been editorial-based. And then there's been partnerships with you, influencers, lots of product in hands. Mm. So the, the strategy has been disruptive as well as the actual product. Yeah. And then, of course, into COVID, we see this kind of – I don't want to say collapse of the advertising industry because it's actually starting to build itself back up now a little bit too, but very much a sense of I don't have to do things the way they used to be done. Yes. So let's have some fun with this, you know. And, and you know, commercial base being the same, yes, they've spent a little bit of traditional advertising money, but lots of social media coverage, lots of influence, ambassadors like yourself, you know. How are you feeling that that market is kind of shifting and being pulled or pushed away from, the old ways of doing things, you know, when you speak about advertising and, yeah. and marketing I think you strategies. Said it, I think what you said was right was that whole just do whatever you want thing. I think that's mm. where social media um, can be really freeing for a brand because there's just all these different platforms that you can access people for free, essentially. And I think Jamie and her um, partner, Nick, they were just very attuned to that, that they could have just as far reach if not further by foregoing traditional billboards and things like that in favor of a really slick social media strategy that particularly celebrated and um, made the most of creatives on those platforms like they partnered with Jasmine Dowling who's massive in Australia to do sort of a series of content for them and what they Pay, what they would have paid Jasmine is probably a fraction of the cost that have paid to have six billboards around the city and they would have got a probably tenfold return on investment through Jasmine because you're not only using Jasmine's talent, you're also capitalising off her following. So it's like the layers of reach are sort of magnified. So yes, I'm an advisor to Monday, but when we partner, they're also getting access to the 20s Club's community who is aligned with most of the demographic Monday is trying to reach. Mm. And not only that do they get, they get your voice, of course, and your platform, but then they get the dialogue and the conversation. Right. And, the, and, and with that, of course, they have to accept the good and the bad. Yes. And they get the feedback and they get the litmus test of like, okay, we're, we're pushing pretty hard here. How is that being received? Yeah. Like we're, we're selling in these spots. Is that working? You know, like even if you look at Jamie's Instagram, she's constantly sharing like user-generated content from people who now, of course – 
think that they can post a shelfie just as good as the one that Monday did, you know? And they're right, they can. (laughs) And then it becomes almost free advertising. If you create a product that's good enough, Mm. um, it kind of, once you've done that initial investment to get it onto social media, it then starts selling Mm. itself. And I think brands that are successful now, I think the the risk you'd never want to run is to put all your eggs in the basket of one form of social media, like just doing Instagram or just doing Facebook. I don't think that ever works and will ever work. Like now um, everyone's moving to TikTok. So I think... You know, Everyone but myself. Yeah. Well, I actually... I have <laughs> How's a, your TikTok game? I have, a, I have an account that I have just to... Because it's so funny. Have you been on TikTok? No, oh my I God, it's My nephew does it. He's I'm, like got a million views I'm on some of his videos. I'm fully addicted like, to it. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely too old to be on it. So I just like watch it. I don't participate. I really yeah. don't think it's for millennials. I think it's for the Gen X's. You're, it's like you're standing on the diving board about to go in, but you're just looking left and right. Yeah, I'm sitting on the end of the diving board. My feet are just dangling off the end. Um, And you go, I can totally do this. But, God, it's so much more fun watching these other people. It's so much more fun, and I definitely can't do it, and I've tried to learn. Anyway, that's a story for another day. Yeah, you were doing some... Um, I know you were doing those Justin Bieber dances. I'm trying to learn them. Hayley and Justin make them look Mm. so easy. Um, So I think, you know, Monday, for example, I've just started a TikTok account, which is just smart because you've got people on that, like Addison Rae, who have 47 million followers on TikTok and are now getting the attention of a Kardashian here and there, you know, so, which I also think is quite interesting. So, but, but you also don't want to put then all your eggs in the basket of TikTok. So Mm. I think any brand, doesn't matter if you're a restaurant or a um, beauty brand or whatever, you kind of want to cover as many bases as you can to access different audiences. Mm. Because even though I hate Facebook, there's still a demographic of maybe people in my parents' age or whatever that love to go there to post their photos. And so Monday having a Facebook page is important. Mm. I just don't, I will just never see it. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the old method of just having layers, you know, and, yeah. and some of them will naturally amplify themselves. And the great thing about social media is that some of those conversations kind of take on their own life. Yes. Or I, maybe not. That's also not a good thing sometimes because then you get, you know, Facebook groups running hate accounts. and. Yeah. Social. I mean, that again, yeah. that kind of, if you're going to be in the social media realm, you've got to take the good with the bad, Absolutely. you know, and, but also you don't have to just sit there and accept um, you know, blind hate or abuse because no one needs that in the world. But it, it is a very good place if you're confident enough and robust enough to take constructive criticism and say, we could have done better there, that product actually is a bit expensive, or yeah, right. the volume should be bigger, or yeah, we're not selling in Tiawamutu. We've clearly got a big customer base there. You know? the, way so, that I, the way that I pitched it to Jay, because even with a brand like Monday, which has the support of a bigger brand like Zuru, you can't, you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know what you've done wrong until you go to market. And so I just think a brand like Monday should think of themselves like the iPhone. So the iPhone 4, none of us would buy now. But at the time, it was it was perfect. It was exactly what we wanted. And sort of each year or iteration, Monday will continue to improve on its. And it's not saying that its product was bad four years ago, it's just saying we now know more, we have better research, better manufacturing skills, and now we've got a better product. You know, it's the iPhone 10 of Monday. Mm. So I don't think we should um, feel shameful around accepting that the way we did things didn't work one way and there's room to grow mm. and, and improve. Yeah, someone explained it to me the other day by talking about supernovas and how, um, you know, they're especially with things moving so quickly right now, 
whatever we thought was a great idea last week, probably only a matter of two days later, was either feeling tired or old or completely irrelevant or wrong. So, and this is, I suppose, that whole thing about the about people saying, can we just take a break on cancel culture because it's actually okay for people to get something wrong, you know, manage something in the in the wrong way or whatever that may be. And and brands also need to be able to, for a start, put up their hand and go, we did that wrong or we we could have been better. And of course, with people as well, you know, like you don't go through life cancelling friends left and right and going well sorry you said that thing last week and now that's different so we're no longer friends for for all time you know so no it's it's humility humility and the i mean what the great thing is these days for anyone and especially companies is that you can pivot and go you know what facebook used to be the be all and end all it's not anymore but we're still going to keep that fire burning yeah and then we're going to start instagram we're going to do tiktok and and of course, you know, there's, there's room for traditional media there. So Maddie, this is probably a, a bigger conversation about, about value. And I know that we've talked about advertising and media, but, and you've kind of touched on it already because you have this DNA with the 20s club, which is so much about content, which is about, you know, not just hashtags and, you know, Instagram photos and selfies, but actually about ideas and sharing conversations and creating, you know, moments of connectivity. Personally, where, where, if there's, uh, this might be a multi-layered answer, but where do you think the value is now for brands? If they are having to spread themselves so thin to capture all these different parts of the market, is there, you know, where's the value in in a channel or is, is, could you say that there's one value that has more channel than the other? Like what, Using what, what you, as an example, like a fashion brand or a beauty brand or a, ah, anything, I think. I mean, the, I suppose also thinking about in strategy, like yeah, when you're right. launching a product, it's, it's almost these days that you have to do a little bit of everything. You know, you have to be a jack of all trades and a master of none. Yeah. No one's quite confident at the moment to completely ignore a segment of the market and say that's just that they're not our people yeah. or that's not our target market. You know, and and also when you spread your, your dollars so thin, how do you really measure apart from direct ROI, which is obviously digital's made that easier to manage? But what do you think in advertising and marketing has got the most true value at the moment? It might not even be a medium. It might just be something to do. Yeah. It might be an event. It might be creating focus groups. It might be having a blog where you can get direct feedback from people. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if it's a. I don't know if it's a particular channel as much as it is a feeling and a sense of um, inclusion. I think every brand that is successful somehow makes their customer feel included in the narrative. You know, if I look at any successful brand in recent years, the Wing, Glossier, Outdoor Voices, they have created super clearly a sense of community and inclusion that makes every single person feel like they play a part in the story of the success of that company. Yes, in recent months, we've found that the Wing maybe weren't as inclusive as they claimed to be and were potentially just paying lip service to some social justice issues, but I think um, I think a brand that's successful or even an influencer that's successful or a blog is one that makes its customers feel just as important as the guys running the company. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, you know, that's the reason why Into the Gloss, which became 
Emily Weiss's platform which through which she launched Glossier. The reason she was so successful with Into the Gloss is because it was sort of all based on consumer feedback. So readers told her what their favorite beauty products were and then those were the ones they wrote about. It wasn't the opposite. It wasn't them telling their audience what was the cool beauty products. It was the reverse of that. And that's also what the 20s club does. I ask the girls what they want me to write about. I don't tell them what they should care about. They tell me what they care about and then I try and make space for it, which means that I haven't always got it right because I have blind spots of privilege, but that's where that humility thing comes back to it. So, Or you're... And you're also, when you cover off one topic, it's not always going to be the topic that fits the, the bill for everybody, right? Absolutely. So, and also readers need to understand that. You know, when Viva do a travel issue or a food issue, it's not always going to resonate with the fashion kids or the music people. You know, or the like, people that just lost their job and can't afford to travel. Absolutely. But that's an age-old problem. So people kind of need to get over that when one topic doesn't address, you know, every single desire of their own. That's but, what I struggle with actually at the moment because I feel like I've become hyper aware to always letting someone down in my conversations and I find that it's almost like paralyzing me into not wanting to write things because Mm. I am so that's where like um ignorance is bliss because and I'm happy I'm where I am now and not where I was but I have so much fear now that I'm upsetting someone like if I write about shopping even if it's about through the angle of sustainability I'm worried that I'm upsetting people who still see sustainability as a luxury because it is in a lot of ways. And that's almost like starting, I need to kind of get over, well, I need to work through it, but it's starting to sort of paralyze me into not wanting to write some things. Mm. Yeah, I I talked to an editor the other day who said that the biggest amount of feedback they get at their title is when people don't feel like they're being seen. Right. You know, and that's just, I suppose, every week you've got to have like you said, you get feedback from people going, oh, my God, I thought I was the only one that felt this way. Thank you so much for highlighting this topic and letting me letting it breathe. And at the same time, you've got a whole bunch of other people and that topic doesn't fit with their agenda this week and they think you're being insensitive. Yeah, and they say cancel the 20s club. Yeah. So, but, I mean, from a brand perspective, and obviously Jamie's experienced this too with Monday, it's yeah. like it's not, you know, we used to think this about the department store in Takapuna. Even after five years, there'd still be people who'd, walk by and go, oh, what's this story? You know, it's like, for all the marketing that we've done, all of yeah, the events, right. all the EDMs, if after five years you still don't know we're here, then maybe it's just not for you. Yeah. You know, and that's okay. It's totally okay. Because we all know that there's a myriad other opportunities and channels for people to, to go out there and, and, and get their information or share their, you know, yeah. share their opinion. And I think what this leads me to is this really nice notion and, and, I've, and I do think it's a positive thing. I do think that it's a very, very tricky world for advertisers and marketers to navigate because I think that, you know, there's lots of blind spots and there's lots of places that you just didn't even think about going. But this notion that small is big, this notion that these micro communities actually have a lot of power. You know, and the small brands are actually the ones that people genuinely want to support and they want to get behind, you know. And no disrespect to the likes of L'Oreal or any of those sort of big traditional juggernauts of, say, beauty or any other industry, but, you know, people have started to and will only increasingly move towards pivoting into boutique, small, micro you know, like even from influencers, yeah, having 300,000 or 23 million or whatever followers is great, 
but who's listening? Yeah. My dad and, and I had such an know? interesting conversation on that because um, a lot of people don't know that the Unilevers and the Procter & Gamble's of the world own a lot of brands that market themselves very intentionally as niche, as local, as whatever, because they know that success is when the big man can look like the little guy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was, um, there's like an organic natural deodorant brand I love. And my dad was like, you realize they're owned by Unilever, but they market themselves as this like local indie, mm-hmm. you know, da da da. And that's, that's to their, you know, advantage. And so, um, and I kind of, on, on the Instagram side of things, I sort of had to flip my lens on the twenties club because I never had a viral moment. I never went from zero to a thousand, you know, it's been this really slow, slow, steady burn. And at the time I remember thinking, does this mean it's like not working or I just, I don't know. It filled me with a lot of doubt, but I wasn't willing to compromise anything to change it in terms of, you know, there were the people that bought followers and all that crap. Mm. Um, But in hindsight, I think it's been a good thing because it's, allowed me a little bit of breathing space to continuously pivot as the landscape has changed. So while the 20s club started as a platform for women in their 20s, it's now so much more than that. And it's now just a platform about what it means to be a modern woman in the world. doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter what kind of background you come from. But had I had like a viral moment when it was in its infancy as the 20s club, I would have had to continuously capitalize off it as that. And that would have been hard. Yeah. Yeah, and I think for someone like you who got into this for no particular reason apart <laughs> from the fact that, hey, that sounds like fun and me and my friends have got some th- things to say, it, it also, you know, it, um, it wouldn't be so bad if you said tomorrow, oh, I'm going to go and start a cafe in Piha. You know, like... And last week I considered that. Yeah. <laughs> I think, well, COVID's given us all the, the, the chance and we, we were even yeah. talking about it before with local brands and designers, you know, and for anyone who's listening to this, and I think this goes along with Maddie's ethos, that's okay too. You know, like right now, more than any time, it's okay to go, do I want to keep doing this? I think it's so important that we continuously reassess the the life that we're building for us. And if we don't like the life that we think we're walking towards, then change direction. Mm. Yeah, that's okay. It breaks my heart to think that people think that because they did the law degree they have to be the lawyer or because they did the apprenticeship they have to be the whatever you got to have um, a side hustle people yeah got to have a side hustle they say that the <laughs> thing that you do when you're supposed to be doing other things is the thing that you should be doing for your job right you know yeah. and for me that was writing you know for you it was fashion stuff or maybe mm. you know or in, in the fact that you love connection and you love meeting new people um so i thought that was interesting yeah well, that's an awesome place to finish, Maddie. I think that's um, the smallest big conversation. I think right now, if if anyone's thinking about, you know, oh, but I'm just a little guy, and you know, I've had this idea and I think it'll work, but I don't have the guts to push it out there, or there are just so many other brands and titles or portals or people out there that take up so much time and and uh, I suppose opinion and noise in the world everyone's there's a place for you and I've, I've always believed that every single person has a story to tell and usually wants to tell it but they just have never been given the microphone so to speak and so I think 
putting pen to paper or fingers to a keyboard or whatever um, is the surest way to get that story told. But sometimes you just have to tell your own story even if no one's asked for it. Mm. Yeah, and you don't need anyone's permission to do that either. So go forth. Go forth and conquer. Wonderful, Maddie. Thank you so much for joining us on Fashion and Focus. Thanks, and nice. we'll uh, give everyone links. And like, subscribe. Like and subscribe to me what and else? Maddie. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, congratulations on every success with the 20s Club. Oh, and um, we Thank love you having you around. Thank you so much. That was the latest from Fashion and Focus. Thanks for tuning in and being a part of our conversation. Check out more of our episodes on your favourite podcast feed and get in touch with us at fashionandfocus at showroom22.com.